Welcome to Fusion Student Ministries. We hope this message equips and encourages you. We're wrapping up our series that we've been in called Mind Games. And uh, tonight, while I'm preaching, I want you to do something maybe that you don't normally do. As I just begin to share the word, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit a question. I want you to ask him to, to begin to reveal something to you, begin to reveal a lie maybe that you've believed or, or, or something that, is, that has held you back in your, in your Christian walk. And as you do that, um, that's really something that you should do every time that you're in a setting like this. But tonight I really want you to focus in on that and doing that. And, uh, and we're going to have an extended time of altar ministry at, at the end of the message tonight. Uh, but I'm believing that for God to set us free and for us to get freedom and, and not just for those that are maybe bound in different uh, strongholds in, in, our, in your mind, but those of us that are, um, you know, there's con- God continually sets us free and we continually, unfortunately, uh, some of us uh, adopt uh, mindsets that are contrary to God's word. And so tonight uh, we're going to be wrapping up our series uh, mind games by and I want to talk to you tonight about a mind set free. The title of tonight's message is a mind set free. And you're familiar with this passage of scripture in uh, John chapter eight, verse thirty four. It says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. You are truly free. So what keeps us from getting free in our minds? Have you ever heard of of a term called a stronghold? A stronghold. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Uh, What is a stronghold? A stronghold was a term used in biblical days referring to a wall around a city to keep anything from getting in or at times anything or anyone from getting out. It was great for your city unless the unless your enemy got a hold of it. If your enemy got a hold of your stronghold, that was walls that were protecting your city, then then he could kick you out of your kingdom and make it difficult for you to regain your territory. And the Bible, whenever it refers to a stronghold, it's talking about a mental stronghold. And some of us have experienced that where it's just it's just a, a, a thought process has attached itself to your mind and it, it becomes becomes difficult. Some of you have have battled with the same thoughts over and over and over again, and it just continues to come in. And, and you, some of you have experienced where some of some people uh, experience where they go to counseling uh, a, a whole lot and begin to to you know open up and somebody's trying to minister to them through counseling and it just seems like they can't get anything done in it and what it is is it's a stronghold that the enemy has got upon their life and what a stronghold does is it keeps everything out but it keeps you in as well it's bondage in other words and so you'll see a lot of you see as you read the scriptures talking about bondage or strongholds, whenever you see it, it's actually talking about a mental stronghold. 
And what the, in, in old times, in biblical days, whenever a city was fortified with walls, um, it was, it was to protect itself from the enemy. And so in reality, if you read the Bible and Psalms, a lot of times it talks about the Lord as your stronghold. So what it could be, it's a good thing if God's word begins to protect our thoughts. But it's a terrible thing if the enemy gets a hold of it and then he can bound you up. You know, so often I've, I've found, maybe you don't find this as often, but I, I find that, that, um, Fewer and fewer churches actually talk about Satan and talk about the enemy. It's become something that it kind of spooks people. Uh, it kind of freaks people out. I don't know exactly why that is. I've just made that observation that fewer people talk about the person, the devil. And and the truth is, is that the Bible actually talks about him a lot, but not for us to be afraid of him, because whenever Jesus died on the cross, it says that he went into hell and he took the keys to death, hell and the grave. And therefore, the enemy or Satan has no authority at all. And so, you know, you don't have to be spooked about him or, or, or worried about demonic uh, forces or presence or anything like that. But rather, the Bible tells us, steers us in a different direction. It says in first Peter chapter five, verse eight, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Bible says be sober minded. You know, it's, it's interesting that the Bible uses this term be sober minded. You know, oftentimes we just can live our life not really thinking uh, that we're in a battle and, or not really thinking that there's actually an enemy out there that actually does hate us, that actually does want to devour us. And the, the Bible says, be sober minded. And often, what's the first thing that you think of when you hear the, the word sober? I think of of somebody that's sobering up, that that's consumed alcohol, or not, uh, you know, somebody that maybe was an alcoholic, and now they say that consider themselves to be sober. And what does alcohol do? Is it, it often it's referred to as being under the influence, under the influence. And what that means is your influence to do something that is normally out of character for you. And oftentimes you are. Maybe some of us are, are having the same mindset that's going through or the same thoughts that are going over and over and over. And what that is, is we're not being sober minded. We're not being aware that there's actually an enemy. There's actually a person out there that is against us as Christians. And he has maybe come into our life and set up camp through our thoughts, through our thoughts. Earlier in the series, we talked about taking those thoughts Captive. Every single thought that comes in, taking it captive and making it submit to the obedience of Christ. So stronghold is something that's where the enemy really sets its his hook, so to speak, in our minds and begins. It can become so, um, so vast and so big that you become not really aware of reality. But the good news is, is that Jesus came upon this earth to set the captives free, to set the captives free. And some of you, you, you may be 
there's, there's really one or two groups in here that, that you're really at a place that you're really good with the Lord. You're, you're, you're walking with God and you may not be aware uh, of any type of stronghold in your life. And that's, that's a great thing, but that's the reason why I told you at the beginning of this message to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to reveal to you because that's, we're going to talk a little bit about deception. And there's so many things in our life that we could be unaware of. For, for example, I could have my collar completely flipped up. I can't see it. I don't know that I look ridiculous up here, but you do. And you can be walking around your, in your life having all these different things going on and not be aware of it. And so many people are aware of it, but you're just, in reality, you're deceived. And so I want to spend the rest of our time before we get to the end talking about three common strongholds that our generation falls into. Three common strongholds that our generation falls into. And tonight it's, it's, a, it's a little bit heavier, a little bit deeper than, than where we normally go, but I just feel that that's where, what God wants to do tonight. And so the first common stronghold that our generation, I think, falls into is number one, depression. Depression. You hear about depression so, so often. It's so uh, prevalent. Another, what typically causes depression is really worry and anxiety. You, you, there's a term of, you know, you've heard before of an anxiety attack where you're filled with so much anxiety that it, your body actually begins to produce the symptoms of a heart attack uh, where you, you begin to your palms get sweaty and your heart is, is palpitating and you, you just you're just overwhelmed. And what's happening is you're thinking so much about whatever is going on that your body is under so much stress that you be, your body literally produces the results of a heart attack. And reality, it's not a heart attack. It's what the medical term is, is an anxiety attack. So many of us, so many in, the, in this generation struggle with depression, struggle with anxiety and worry. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, for us to cast all our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. So many people are, are depressed because they have, we have forgotten the truth that there is a God in heaven that loves you. There's a God in heaven that cares about you. That cares about every single part of your life to the point that He says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And I come across so often, so especially teenagers in this generation, especially of people that are just bound by depression, bound by depression. And, and sometimes it's just so debilitating, but they're beginning to they're just thinking about all the things, all the problems that are in their life. And, and it begins to create anxiety. And then whenever they have anxiety, then it causes them to get depressed but the good news is I just want to keep bringing you back to this. If you're struggling with depression, it's worth even bringing this up if just one person is struggling with this. Because it's, it, the, the bottom line is, is that Jesus said that He came on this earth so that you could have life and have it abundantly. 
So Jesus didn't come and die on the cross for you to live a miserable, defeated life, beaten down. Jesus came that you could have life and have it to the very fullest. And so many of us, we just settle for the, what's on the bottom. We just settle for what's been given us. And the, and the truth is, is that you have been given all authority by Jesus, by what he accomplished upon the cross. You know, Philippians says in Philippians chapter four, verse six, don't worry about don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Philippians kind of lays out a formula to really defeating the stronghold of depression. He says, don't worry about anything. And what happens is a lot of times instead of not don't worry about anything, we worry about everything. And so many, so much of us, it, it causes depression and it causes anxiety and it causes worries because we're thinking of all these different scenarios that could happen in our life. And most of the time, it doesn't even happen. We're worried about, we're worried, sometimes we're worried about worrying. We're just constantly worrying and being filled with anxiety. And, and the Bible says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And most of the time we reverse that. We worry about everything and we pray about nothing. And what the reason that we do that is because it gets back to we trust more in our own abilities than we do in God's abilities. And we begin to think that we have the answers or we have to figure it out. And we begin to worry about our circumstance and what could happen and it just it, you just continue to dig yourself deeper and deeper and deeper in depression. Have you ever been around somebody that actually applied this scripture that that actually didn't worry about anything instead prayed about everything? I, I've been around a few people like that, and most of the time it annoys me because they pray about everything. And whenever it annoys me, it makes me realize that. I'm, I'm actually the one that's in error, not them. And it reminds me that, you know, it's just the simple faith of just praying about everything, seeking in God. You don't have to stop and pray for a long time. But I've, I've attempted and have tried to practice this the more because I realize that in my own personal life, what I'll normally do is I'll have a set time of prayer and then not pray again to the next set time of prayer. That I'll pray in the morning or have my devotion time and pray at that point and then kind of not pray throughout my day at all. Instead of uh, you, you've heard the, the quote, I've used it before of I can't remember that it was a great man of God, maybe um, uh, Charles Wesley or so, someone like that. He said, I rarely pray more than five minutes, but I rarely go five minutes without praying. Meaning that I don't have to have an hour. God would prefer you not have an hour of prayer in the morning and then not talk to him, you know, the rest of the day. He'd rather you walk with him. 
and realizing that as you walk this this as you walk your day, walk out through your life, you don't have to you know stop, like I said, and pray for a long period of time, but just begin to ask the Holy Spirit what he wants to do to some of this. This is a very foreign concept, but this is this is a benefit that God has given us that we don't take advantage of. It's like be, uh, being a part of a company that offers a 401k and they say, look, we'll go ahead. You don't have to put any of your own money in it. We'll go ahead and put 6% in it. All you got to do is just register and you never take advantage of that program and you get to the retirement age and you have nothing in there when in reality you could have been taking advantage of that benefit that is offered to you all this time. So many of us, the Bible says, forget not the benefits of God. He has the best benefit package that anybody could ever give you. And we've, we, this is one of the benefits that you can pray about everything. And whenever you begin to pray about everything, typically the, the mountains or the waves don't always stop. Your circumstances normally stay the same. But what happens is you begin to experience the peace of God. And so whenever you do Two things whenever you pray about everything and then the Bible says to thank him for what he's already done. What causes depression in our lives so much is we think we get into the into such a slump that we think that we have nothing, that nothing is good, that we have we have nothing, that God has done nothing and we get spiritual amnesia, so to speak, and forget about all the great things that God has done. And whenever I pray about everything and I begin to thank him for what he's done, uh, something amazing happens is I begin to get peace, which passes all understanding. And the truth is, is that you cannot have both. You cannot have depression and peace. They don't coincide. And so whenever you begin to thank God for what he's done, you begin to pray about everything and worry about nothing and thank him for all the good things that that he's done. The peace which passes all understanding begins to come upon you. Have you ever experienced that? Some of you, I know the leaders that that have, have walked maybe a little bit longer with God have had an opportunity to experience that. And the truth is, is that when you're going through the most hell in your life is when you have the best opportunity to experience the peace which passes all understanding. Where in the natural, it does not make sense, but yet you're not worrying about anything, but you're praying about everything. And I'm not talking about just uh, being absent minded and just, you know, like I'm not going to do my homework because I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm talking about the things that are out of your control that God doesn't want you to bear. You don't worry about those things. You don't worry about those things. So many of us, so many Christians are bound by they don't want to really call it depression because it's just an ugly word that Christians shouldn't have. But in reality, they are depressed because they're worrying about everything. They're worrying about everything. I come across it even in in people in the ministry that are just so worried about what is people going to think about me if I'm if I'm at this place or I don't say this right or I don't think this. They're just bound by fear and worry and it robs them of their peace. And God never created and never designed you to be in a place of depression. He designed and created you to be in a place of peace. 
And the truth is, is a lot of us, we, we, we go from, from mountaintops to valleys and mountaintops to valleys, meaning that we, we have a great experience with God and we're doing great, but then we get right back into the valley and we're back in the slumps. You know, if you read the Bible in, in first Kings, uh, Elijah experienced this where he was on, he had just defeated all kinds of prophets of Baal. God had done something incredible in his life. And then Jezebel sends word to him that she's, because of everything that he's done, that she's after him to kill him. And he began to just get so, he got so depressed. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He, he went to Bathsheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went uh, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a, a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I have I have had enough, Lord, he said, take my life, for I am no better than any of my ancestors who have already died. It's amazing when you read through what God had just done uh, through Elijah, the grace that was upon Elijah and, and and defeating all these people that were really humanly impossible for him to do. Yet in that moment, he got caught back up in his flesh and said, there, there's nothing good. I'm no better than any ancestor of mine that had has ever come gone before me. I see nothing good. And he began to focus upon what one death threat by one woman, whenever in reality he, he had just killed thousands of people. And that's what the enemy will do in your life is he will begin to get your mind off of all the great things that God has done and onto one negative thing in your life and blows it out of proportion. You know, the enemy will always exaggerate to you. Yeah, and, and in reality, what helps me is a lot of times whenever that happens to me and I begin to see a problem and I go talk to somebody, I talk to Kia or I, I talk to another pastor or something and I begin to explain this huge problem that I'm facing, it, it, whenever it comes out of my mouth, I realize how ridiculous it is. Because it's not nearly as big as what I believed in my mind. But whenever I, I begin to say it out loud, I realize that the enemy has been exaggerating to me. Have you ever been around a person that is just a constant exaggerator? That will exaggerate anything and everything. It, it's really, it's just ridiculous of, of some of the things that, you know, if I'm not a real big hunter and I'm, I'm not a real big fisherman, I like both okay, but I have noticed that every time I get around a, a hunter or a fisherman, they are the worst exaggerators in the world. They will, it'll, instead of a, you know, a fish being this big, which is more realistic, it's always this big. Instead of a fish like, man, how big was it? It was 50, you know, 50 pounds. Wow, that's a big fish. Instead, they can't settle for 50 pounds. It was 200 pounds. And in reality, they never weighed it. They just assume that it's 200 pounds. And that's what happens when the enemy begins to speak to you. He begins to, to, to point out an issue and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you would just take that thought and bring it before the Lord or bring it before uh, another man or woman of God, you would realize that the enemy has been lying to you and exaggerating 
to you. Your problems really aren't that big. I was sitting with uh, with Mr. Dick Menard for the pastor's conference Friday, and he was talking about an old pastor that his slogan on the radio was, you don't have any problems, you just need to trust in God. And he would say it all the time, and he said how it would just annoy the heck out of him, because he said, you don't have any problems, you just need to trust in God. And in reality, there's some truth to that. That the problems that we have are not nearly as big as we think they are, we just haven't brought it to the Lord. And instead of bringing it to the Lord, we've worried about it. And we keep it in our own hands whenever we do that. We worry about everything instead of praying about everything. And whenever we pray, we release it to God. He begins to take it into His hands. And then you experience peace, which then breaks that depression off of your life. And the truth is, is that uh, this is a constant thing. This is not just a one-time thing. It's something that tonight, if you're struggling with it, you can come down to the altar and it can be broken off of your life right here, right now, by the authority of Christ. But in reality, you, you have to live life tomorrow. And you're going to begin to, the enemy's not going to stop just because you went down to the altar at one, one time. But it's a constant thing of, I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm going to pray about everything. And whenever you do that, you experience the peace of God. When you experience the peace of God, depression leaves you. You know, so so many, that's a common stronghold that I see so often when in reality, if you just apply the word of God to it, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I'm just saying that if you apply the word of God, that those things will leave. Do you realize that that even even me as your pastor has has the opportunity to struggle with depression, but the moment that it comes, instead of just receiving it, I cast it out. I cast it down. I don't receive it. I'm because I realize the truth of God that He does not desire for me to live in that. So the first common uh, mental stronghold of our generation is number one, depression. Number two, deception. Number two, deception. And you know, I heard John Bevere say before that the only problem with deception is it's deceiving. That's the only problem with it. Because the person that is deceived genuinely believes that they're right when in reality they're wrong. That's another frustrating circumstance. Have you ever been with somebody that just they just knew that they know that they know that I'm right on this situation and you know that you know that they are not right in that circumstance. And until they get the revelation or in some instances, until you get the revelation that they really were right and you were wrong, then nothing can ever be accomplished at that 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 point. And. In fact, uh, the Bible says that in the end times, that uh, deception will run rampant. It will run rampant. And have you noticed that this is quite a stronghold in our generation? Deception. So many people are deceived into thinking and believing the lie of the enemy. And, and, and it's all across our generation. And in fact, it's very easy for us to fall into that pattern as well. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
then you will then you will learn to know God's will for you and which is good, pleasing and perfect. You know, so so many times uh, people struggle with with hearing the voice of God or, or knowing the will of God. And in reality, that what's keeping them back from knowing the will of God or knowing the voice of God is they have begin to have their thinking formed to the pattern of the world. And what happens is whenever our thinking is the same of the world, then God has to wait for you to finally accept his way and go his way because he won't force himself on you. And the Bible describes this world, this system, and describes it as the the God of this world, little g. Satan still has dominion over those that have not accepted Christ. And so for us, we're not under we're not under the weight or the oppression of the enemy because we have broken free of it because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. However, whenever we begin to cause our thinking to go back into the way of the world, then we are going back into that pattern and God is waiting for us to come back. And whenever we go back to God, we say, God, my thinking has to change. And God will begin to deal with thinking patterns in our lives. And the the sad thing is, is that what produces deception in our lives is people not obeying the word of God. So many people just know God's word. So many people that have grown up in church just know God's word. They have knowledge of it. I've talked to so many people. There is that that know God's word and they're some of the hardest people to talk to because every time you give them a scripture, they quote it right back to you, but they're not doing it. And in James chapter one, verse 22, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only or catch this. Deceiving yourselves, deceiving yourselves. So we have enough issue with the Bible talking about the enemy that roars around like a roaring lion trying to to deceive you than for us to go ahead and deceive ourselves. Because this passage of Scripture doesn't say I could you could digest this a little bit better if it said or don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers or the enemy will deceive you. Or another person will deceive you. But it doesn't say that. It says, or you're deceiving yourself. You're fooling yourself. And the truth is, is that what, that's what happens in our lives whenever we don't apply the truth of God's Word and don't submit to it by obedience. You know, so many people want to just come to church and hear a message and think that that's what's going to set them on course. It does you no good if you never apply it and submit to the authority of God's word. And the truth is, and the good news is, is that deception can be broken off of our lives. You know, one of the things that I try to do on a regular basis is is what I call a David prayer. It says, search my heart, O God, reveal what's in it and God sift through my desires. And if you do that and you sincerely say, God, I, there may be things in my life that I'm deceived about. And, and God, I don't want to walk 
a, a, a road or go down a road where I'm just deceived and can be fooled and swayed. And there's some and, you know, the thing about deception is it's often quite subtle. It's very subtle. Like if I came up here and, and, and preached, um, you know, that, you know what, guys, uh, I got a revelation that Jesus actually isn't the Messiah. All of you would probably exit right through that door and never come back again because that's so easy to spot. But deception is quite subtle and it makes its way in by saying, just like the enemy had that that moment with Eve and said, did God really say? And you begin to think of, yeah, there's there's that scripture and I'm not really sure I'm going to take the buffet approach to scripture and I'm going to apply a little bit of this. This one kind of hurts a little bit. I'm not going to apply that and I'm going to begin to do what I want to do and apply the scriptures that I feel are easiest to apply to my life. And when you do that, you deceive yourself and you begin to there. There is whole doctrines that have formed that you would that those people that are in it now that are in that stronghold now, I guarantee you, if you would have got a hold of them years before, would have said no way I would ever get caught up in that there. There are actually uh, there's a whole movement of a guy named Rob Bell that preaches a message that says love wins and love wins. And no matter what happens, ultimately, everyone will go to heaven because there is a loving God. She's now be- he's now become Oprah's pastor and he is leading thousands to this hell that he doesn't believe in. And it comes in so subtly, so subtly that those people, I guarantee you, most of them are just so innocent and just want to receive something, you know, want to receive something that they're being deceived. And so my job description and is to equip you, is to help you. And, and it doesn't matter how many people come, the people that are here, my job is to help equip you. And to let you know that the Bible says that in the last days, deception will run rampant. And you don't need to be afraid of that if you continue to go before the Lord and say, search my heart and read the Word of God and you become a doer of the Word. And you know, I begin to, it's challenged myself and to say, God, I don't want to apply some of Your Word. I want to apply all of Your Word by Your grace that helps me to apply it. So the three common mental strongholds of our generation, number one, depression, number two, deception, and number three, doubt, number three, doubt, depression, deception and doubt. This generation is such a skeptical generation, such a skeptical generation. And in us, we can we can adopt that same mentality of being so skeptical and in some ways, it, it, it's it's OK and it's good. Like, for instance, I, I got called uh, the other day to be informed that I had won a million dollars and also a cruise. And all I had to do is just give these people my account information and they could go ahead and help me with that. Well, thankfully, in that area, being skeptical helped me out. But if I apply that same mentality to God, it gets me nowhere. Because God is ultimately the trustworthy person and and doubt is so prevalent in this generation. And it's so funny, it kind of ties back into deception 
there's so many people that quote unquote don't believe in God and are and are doubtful about God. However, they can believe something that is as ridiculous as boom, something happened and we begin to form from animals. And it ties into when you're deceived, you begin to doubt. And often the way that doubt happens is through discouragement. It's through discouragement. You know, I really don't care for the way that that Thomas has been portrayed by some preachers. We know him as Doubting Thomas. And my only beef with that is we don't call Peter denying Peter or foot in mouth Peter. And, you know, Thomas made the the uh, the statement whenever the disciples came back and said, unless you, you remember, unless I put my finger in, in the holes in his hands, you know, I'm not I'm not going to believe. But just a few scriptures, a few verses later, Thomas was the one that says we will go and we will die with you. What had happened was Thomas wasn't didn't become doubting Thomas. Thomas had become discouraged Thomas. He was discouraged. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. That whenever you're hoping something with all of your mind, with all of your heart, see Thomas and and so many of the disciples, they heard the scripture in Isaiah that says that the, the government will rest upon his shoulders. And they saw Jesus as he was going to make his move and he was going to come on earth and set up his kingdom. When Jesus the whole time was here was saying, yeah, I'm going to do that later. I could easily do that, but I'm trying to do something a little bit deeper, a little bit more spiritual. I'm talking about my heavenly kingdom. And so Thomas had a mindset of this is how Jesus was going to come, that he was going to set up the government. He was going to be the president of, of the world, so to speak. And Thomas could be on his boards And Thomas could have some authority and things were going to change because at the time the Jews were under uh, under the the foot of the Romans and and they had desired to be set free from that, to set free from the, the captivity of the Roman government. And whenever Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead, that wasn't what Thomas had in mind, and he became discouraged. And whenever he became discouraged, he became doubtful. You see, what was best for Thomas is for Jesus to come, set up shop, rule in the government, and for Thomas to be on his side, to be a part of his of Jesus's cabinet. What was best for us is for Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. Thomas was thinking more uh, more of his generation than he was. Jesus was thinking from generation to generation to generation. And what, a lot of times we get discouraged because we want God to do something in our lives when he's thinking, I got something way better in mind for you than that. And we get discouraged for God not meeting our every little need of how we want it and when we want it. And then we begin to doubt him. And God wants to break discouragement off our lives. If we just would trust him, then doubt would be broken off of our lives. So the common thread as I'm wrapping up, the common thread of all of these of depression, of uh, deception and of doubting, the common thread of all three of these is a lie. It's a lie. 
And it's believing the lie of the enemy. And the only way that we get set free from a mental stronghold is for truth to expose the lie. I hope that that as I preached, you, you kept on thinking, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me? Holy Spirit, what do you want to show me? And how do you get free from these things or or whatever God just showed you to be set free from? In John chapter eight, verse 32, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And skipping down to verse 36, it says, so if the sun sets you free, you are truly free. And Jesus says, if you would know the truth, the truth would set you free. What Jesus was saying is I am the truth. I am the truth. The Bible says in the beginning of John that in the beginning the Word was and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is truth. And whenever we begin to accept His truth and we don't begin to accept our own thoughts, then He will begin to, His truth will begin to penetrate the lie that we've, we've lived. And you know, it can come crashing down so easily. You know the, the story in Joshua of, of Jericho, when there's, there's walls in Jericho and the people begin to march around it and the walls came crashing and tumbling down. And it was that easy that it was that easy that the, the Lord was able to deliver the people and the walls came crashing down in the same way with us. It's that easy that whenever we begin to ask God, Lord, show me, Lord, reveal to me what is in my life that you want to break off of it. It'll come crashing down just that easily. Why don't you stand with me as we wrap up? Tonight, I want to have a time of prayer and believe with you that God showed you a few things that He wants to set you free from. And really, the, one of the greatest keys to being set free from whatever it may be is humility. It's humility. It's to acknowledge God... I can't set myself free. I can't do enough self-help things to get me free. Lord, I need You to help set me free. And so right now, I just want everybody to close, close your eyes. Nobody looking around at all. Just to create a private moment between you and God. Not one person with their eyes open. Everybody with their eyes closed. And tonight... If that's you, that if there's something that God showed you, not necessarily about the three things that I talked about, but something that He put His finger on that says, I want to set you free from this. I want you to just boldly lift up your hand right now. God wants to just set me free. Come on, just lift up your hand. Just, just very boldly. Just as high as it can go. Lift up your hand. I want you to do something, something bold right now. If you got your hands up, I want you to just come down to the altar. Every person with their hand raised, I want you to come down to the altar. Even if you didn't raise your hand, come down to the altar. It doesn't matter if you're a leader. It doesn't matter who you are. I want to give you the opportunity to come down and get prayed for. And we're going to believe, we're going to have some people to come and pray with you guys. 
We're going to believe that that God is going to set people free. Because when God reveals truth, He reveals truth for the purpose of setting you free. Before anybody gets prayed for, I want to pray over everybody real quick. And then we're going to dismiss and have altar ministry time. Father, I pray over every single person here. Lord, as we just finish this series, God, I pray, Lord, that truly we would have minds that are set free. That are free from the enemy. That are free from depression. That are free from discouragement and doubt. That are free from from deception, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you're penetrating our minds and and our hearts, God, with your truth tonight. Holy Spirit, we desire to experience you and to experience your truth in a greater way than we've ever experienced it before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, thanks for joining us. For more info on Fusion, you can check us out on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you.